Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are crew members Andy. Hello. And Jara. Hello. And we're going to be talking about the TOS episode Cat's Paw. But first, before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 per month and get some awesome rewards, from thanks on social media up to some silly watch-along commentaries. Visit us at patreon.com slash womenatwarp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Sue and I are going to be at AwesomeCon at the end of April in DC, and I will be on a panel called Not Your Manic Pixie Dream Girl about newer newer tropes for women in sci-fi and other sort of, you know, geek genres in addition. Yeah, we're also doing a panel together on toxic fan culture, and then I am doing an additional one on the second season of Star Trek Discovery. So lots of stuff going on at AwesomeCon, in addition to several TNG guests at the event. Mm-hmm. So come say hi to us, find us. Yeah. You can track us down on Twitter if you will be at AwesomeCon in DC at the end of April. Yeah, and we'll be posting the panel details on our social media closer to. Awesome. Con. <laughs> <laughs> you just beat me to it. All right. So, let's get into it. Cat's Paw. This is a weird episode. I like it because it has black cats. <laughs> yes. That's pretty much the, the, the main thing that I like about it. That is one thing I say we don't change. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we did this sort of experiment a little bit when we did a rewriting of Miri, which we renamed Bonk Bonk, and thought we would try our hand at a rewrite of this episode. First, can I say the first thing that I thought of when I was I was thinking about this episode before I rewatched it, and I was like, number one thing, which I believe I also said with Miri, is Uhura should be in charge of the bridge. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, especially this one, because Scotty's down on the planet, and even though I still think Uhura should get to be in charge of the bridge before Scotty, because usually in almost all these situations, they also need an engineer in engineering, they have DeSalle, and he is super annoying what a super annoying yeah so uhura should be in charge but maybe should we like talk a bit about what the original episode is first sure so they go to castlevania and (laughs) some weird shit happens and then they leave (laughs) (laughs) tell me that's not correct where is the lie i mean that that's correct for almost any episode. I know, but this is... Okay, When we'll get more into the details of it, but this was my problem with it, is, like, none of the stuff on the planet moves the story forward. Yeah. They pretty much just run around in circles for 40 minutes, yeah. and then they leave. Yeah. Right. And it was all an illusion, except for the guy that died. <laughs> right. I will say, though, that, okay, so the very beginning of this episode is Spock and Kirk and Uhura, and they're trying to get Sulu and Scotty on the the phone. And I like all the way up until the, the credits is actually really effective. They're worried, they can't get any information, and then the super weird 
random calls up and they transport him in and he is like super creepy and it turns out he's like a talking corpse and it's all very cool. I like that part. I would not change anything of that. Yes, totally agreed. I like the creepy corpse voice coming out of the guy's mouth and I don't, yeah, I don't have a problem with any of the stuff up until that point. So I'm fine with just leaving that. Yeah, I mean, I like the tension of they're already disappeared. Like, we're not Mm -hmm. going through a whole load of stuff where they beam down and then disappear. We're starting from the starting point of something's wrong. Yes. And I like that. That cuts out a lot of unnecessary running around Mm -hmm. that they then triple Mm -hmm. later on. And then props to the dude who played Jackson. He was creepy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay, one thing that maybe I would change by this point. Can we talk about Chekhov's hair a little bit? Oh, the wig is so bad. Yes. This is the first Chekhov episode, and they wanted him to look like one of, you know... The monkeys. The monkeys, thank you. I kept wanting to say the Bee Gees, and I'm like, no, wrong era. Oh my god! That's our <laughs> first change. Chekhov needs to have, like, a giant disco beard. Yes. I mean, everyone does, as proved by Disco McCoy. So, yeah. Yes. Also, probably if he had a Bee Gees voice, that would be awesome. <laughs> but yeah, he's wearing a wig in this episode, and it looks like Chekhov got a blowout. <laughs> <laughs> they spent too much money on dry ice for the fog and had no more money left for wigs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was like someone was budgeting this episode and was like, $10 for the wig, $5 million for dry ice. Someone help me budget this. My show is dying. It was a bad wig, (laughs) y'all. So, okay. Then they go down to the planet. And then the next thing we see is Bach, McCoy, and Kirk, which leaves you with the shipping run by DeSalle and Mm -hmm. Uhura and Chekhov as supporting actors, they encounter three witches that are supposed to be disembodied heads, but they're clearly wearing turtlenecks. I never would have guessed that, Jara. Yeah. (laughs) Never would have guessed that they were supposed to be disembodied heads. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm a fan of the witches part of this episode, but it would have definitely been scarier and more weird and alien feeling and less like a uh, haunted house carnival attraction. If they had been disembodied. Okay. I also really like the witches. Don't really need to change anything about them, in my opinion, because they've got a cool sort of, like, prophetic Macbeth feel. Mm -hmm. And I really dig how dumb they are and how much they, like, sing all of their words and, like, creepy music voices. Mm -hmm. All of that is truly enjoyable. And of course, the best line of this episode comes from the witches, because afterwards Kirk's like, Spock, what? And his only comment is, very bad poetry. Which (laughs) is one of the funniest things Spock has ever said. Yes, exactly. And then he says they're not real, and that's when Kirk makes an allusion to trick-or-treating, which is how you know that this is a Halloween episode. Actually, (laughs) 
specifically designed as Halloween episode and is the apparently only Star Trek episode to have ever been the, you know, close to a holiday special. The original air date of October 27th, 1967. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was written by Robert Bloch and we, we are missing Grace for this episode because I'm sure she would have a lot of interesting things to say about that. Also wrote the uh, What Are Little Girls Made Of episode. So... That's obviously the best episode ever made. I mean, we're talking top tier <laughs> track there. I was going to say, yeah, his uh, feminist credentials are <laughs> maybe a little bit questionable, but I don't think that's what he was going for. So, so far we've decided that dead corpse guy talking, excellent. Which is creep singing, awesome. Spock, one-liner, Perfection. Yeah. And I feel like this is really the turning point in which things start to go downhill. Oh, can I ask another question is, would you have subbed out any of the away team members? Mm, no. Nah. I mean, it's quintessential Star Trek that your entire command staff is in peril. Yeah. <laughs> it's not smart, but it's Star Trek. Yeah. Also, um, I mean, I'm totally down with later, very soon, we see them all chained to, chained to a wall in a dungeon. And it would have been definitely a bit weirder and different dynamics if it had been Uhura. So I will yeah. stick stick with the, the classic trio. I'm fine with it. I especially need Spock there so he can just look at everything like with disdain. Yeah. I feel like after that poetry line, Spock really isn't used well. So then they find basically a giant haunted castle. Castlevania! Yes, yes, Castlevania. <laughs> and it's all... Well, you mentioned the dry ice. Uh-huh. I was very impressed with how much dry ice there was. Yeah. Like, I made a note of it. <laughs> I was like, dry ice. Lots. Yeah. Also good lighting. Yeah. I mean, in general, the, like, design of this episode I like. Yes. It's super kitschy, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, if you're going to have a scary Halloween episode, obviously you have to have fog. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of a gimme. Yeah. So they encounter Korob and eventually Sylvia, who just sort of like, as you said, make them run in circles by giving them all these illusions. We didn't talk about the cat, though, first. Oh, yeah. And the cat. But the cat Mm -hmm. is Sylvia, but we don't know that. But like, at the very beginning, they let this cat just like hiss at them for a really long time. And... It's not scary, but it is hilarious. Yeah. Like, it's Salem in the Melissa Joan Hart, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yes. Level of scariness. It's like, ha! 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 Yes. And then lots of shadow work. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Lots of, and like, um, fun playing with proportions when you have the cat at the end with, like, what looks like they just have a house cat looking in a dollhouse to make it look like the cat's turned giant. Yep. So I would keep the cat. I'm, I might do a little less of the really prolonged scenes of it hissing. Mm-hmm. But I would keep the cat. <laughs> what if the cat had talked with a creepy corpse voice? Oh, my God. <laughs> if you cut the scenes of the cat hissing and growling then how will they get across the point that the cat is the most ruthless and most terrifying of animals? I really wish that they could have just cut to marry a different black cat laying on her back with her paws straight up and just like rolling around. 
Someone should make that video. <laughs> it should just be that that one line and then cuts to different black cats that are not. <laughs> I just it was extra hilarious because when I was rewatching this recently, I literally had all three of my cats on top of me as Buck <laughs> delivers that line. <laughs> and you're like, yep. geez, Star Trek, it's partly your fault that black cats are underadopted. as the owner of two black cats i can tell you all that they are delightful most of the time (laughs) like 98 percent of the time (laughs) so when they first meet sylvia and korob they're like escorted by brainwashed scotty and sulu Mm -hmm. which okay can i interject and say that scotty and sulu literally say nothing in this episode yeah and it's something. I have feelings about it. Yeah, apparently it was supposed to be randos, but Fontana was like, well, we have actors. Why don't we use the people we are already paying and that people recognize? Because they won't just care if it's some random dudes that are being brainwashed, but they'll care if it's people they know and love. But I, I didn't really care that much because they didn't say anything and they weren't doing anything other than just pointing phasers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like you could have gotten the same effect from like a wax statue holding a gun. I feel like it would have been better if she made them wear different outfits. I don't know exactly what, but... Like sexy outfits? Well, (laughs) that is, I admit, what I was thinking, although I am (laughs) questioning my politics around that. (laughs) And whether that is regressive or progressive or feminist or anti-feminist, I'm not sure. (laughs) So I am open to just other costumes like maybe like they could be like discovery section 31 and just all be wearing black leather it's like a little sexy but we're not talking like exploitative sexy so you know Mm -hmm. i think that they should be wearing like dracula costume oh yeah (laughs) apparently the original script called for bats and robert justman has a memo that's like i've been unable to find a uh, a thousand trained bats (laughs) Can you make do with a parakeet? <laughs> like joking. <laughs> I want a copy of that memo. <laughs> Robert Justman is good at shady memos. Like, yeah. Really good at them. There's been more than one time that I have like laughed out loud at him just being like, what are y'all doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, totally like tuxedo oh yeah oh man okay so i'm i'm referring to the these are the voyages entry for this episode while we record this and i see now going back to desal and i apologize for jumping around all over the place but he is actually in the captain's log the assistant chief engineer so they have two chief engineers that are out of the picture and still uhura doesn't get to command the bridge she does get to relay messages though yeah, and she does in mm-hmm. our version get to command the bridge, so we're taking care of it. Check. Yes, in our version, she is kicking ass up there. Yeah, DeSalle is just not even in this episode. Yeah, no, we don't need him to hang around and call check off Mr. And say, like, I bet you credits for navy beans. <laughs> <laughs> he was so weirdly intense. <laughs> yes. I feel like, okay, I feel like the story with DeSalle is that he has always wanted to be a captain, 
but he's not really all that good at it, but, like, he thinks this is a shot. Like, if he's really good at captaining, that maybe he can get into that command school Tilly is in. Yep. And, yeah, definitely. Uh, so he really just has to make everything seem very dramatic. It's all about delivering your lines. Credits to Navy B. <laughs> is that supposed to... Was, is the Navy beans an expression or is that supposed to be like dollars to donuts? It's dollars to Navy... Or I think it's dollars to Navy beans. What are Navy is beans? It? It's a kind it's, of it, bean. It was a U.S. sailor's century where... By the person making the wager is so confident of winning that he'll gamble valuable dollars against undesirable military grub. Oh. So basically, I'll give you, I'll pit my dollars against your crappy military food that I'm right. All right. I mean, that seems like a Roddenberry touch, to be honest. Possibly. I mean, the thing is, if if you Google the phrase dollars to navy beans, you just get results for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe this episode started a new trend. Okay, I might call this into Away With Words, the language podcast. I'll let you know if anything comes of that. He does deliver the line very intensely. Oh, yeah. I have to give him credit for that. Yeah, I buy it's a thing. Nickels to navy beans. That's what it is. Uh, so, change in a dungeon. There's a skeleton that's clearly fake. And uh, they're hanging by their wrists. Sort of. They're clearly not actually hanging. Their wrists are just above their heads. They're clearly standing quite flat on the ground. Which is good, because that otherwise is pretty bad for your back. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just point out how often TOS has their leading men in chains? That occurred to me as well, because um, there's there's the Nazi episode, I think, and... Mm -hmm. In maybe one of the, like, Roman gladiator episodes. Yep. They're imprisoned quite often. Yeah, and I mean, now I'm like, I get where a lot of the Kirk Spock fanfiction tropes come from. Mm-hmm. People were not only just thinking of it out of their heads. But this is interesting, too, because that was something that was, like, often in feminist pop culture critique we're talking about things like wonder woman being tied up and yes. uh, like women damsels in distress of you know the the decades before star trek but also still into that time so it's interesting that the guys are tied up a lot and that i don't think they're portrayed in a way that is makes them sort of conform to those same problems with damsels in distress that like they're weak or they need rescuing it's like they're going to think their way out of this one. Mm-hmm. So. Think or fight, for sure. They, yeah. they rarely have someone come to their rescue, unless it is in that animated series episode. Yes. So that's a good point. And then, uh, okay, so a zombie, uh, Scotty and Sulu, escort them to Sylvia and Korob. And then this is where I start getting confused about what the heck they even want. Yeah, I definitely don't know. Because <laughs> it's it sort of feels like a little bit like Squire of Gothos, where you know Korob's mm-hmm. trying to like give them all these things because he wants them to stay there or something. But then they are also threatening them and want to. I mean, it seems like they want they need to be in their minds to understand them because they're sort of this advance party for, like, a colonizing species. 
Mm-hmm. And so they've, they've drawn all of this stuff out of their subconscious, all of like the fears. It's sort of like Wishes Were Horses where they're like pulling things out of their minds and then manifesting them to try to get some sort of reaction or to try to learn more yeah. about them. Only it's more malicious than the DS9 episode. A little bit like The Cage and Menagerie, too. Like, yeah, yeah, very much. This is a very reused Star Trek idea of I'm going to create the illusion of the thing that's in your brain. Mm-hmm. Even with, is it Future Imperfect with Riker and Minuet? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that and Coda with Janeway's dad. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we could think of more. Fairly confident this is not the only time. Oh, no, not at all. But they never really tell us what they want. They tell us that they're explorers from another galaxy. Mm-hmm. They want the Enterprise to go away. But, like... But they trap them there like the enterprise would totally go away if they were like here's all your people back but there there's no indication that they're after like galactic domination no so did they just want to colonize that planet yeah i'm not really clear on that that is my biggest problem with this episode (laughs) (laughs) i don't know over and over again they ask her and she just is like oh we need information What does that mean? Information for what? What is the end goal? What is the purpose? And then if the people that are zombies, like, that are being controlled by them, does that mean that she has all the information from them? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of implied that they became zombies because she drained them of information. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make any sense because they're not permanently damaged in any way. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she talks about controlling them, but then mysteriously doesn't want to do that to Kirk. But then mysteriously, like, okay, so we're we're sort of in the part now where they, they're meeting Korob and Sylvia. Korob is, like, manifesting all their desires, what he thinks their desires are. Based on their Halloween subconscious. Yeah. So interesting... Again, that also there's nothing Vulcan there because Spock didn't know anything about Halloween. So this is partly why Spock's kind of badly used in this episode is that he shows up. They don't even really explain that, like, they can't access his mind because he's a Vulcan or, like, use his powers in some cool way. And then, but then they also don't show us Vulcan Halloween. Missed opportunity. Yeah. I mean, they do say, you're the one who thinks differently. Mm-hmm. And, like, are we supposed to take from that 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 means you can't read him or control him? Yeah, it's kind of implied, but nothing is really stated out loud. And it was yeah. also weird to me because, what's his face? Kolob. Korob. Korob. Says something at one point when he messes up and gives them, like, jewels or whatever. Yep. And and Kirk is like, we don't care about jewels. And he's like, oh, but I read. What did he read? Where did he <laughs> read this? I thought they were getting all of their information from everybody's mind. Mm-mm. Maybe he just means I read their mind. <laughs> That's a weird way to say that. It is. <laughs> Maybe Sulu really loves jewels. <laughs> and so he thought everyone else would love jewels. I don't know. So I think that if we fixed this problem, it would make this episode a million times better. Mm -hmm. What is their motivation? 
What are the stakes? We don't know. Exactly, because there are none. It really is just like, how many creepy visuals can we push into this? I'm like, they just run around in circles. What do we have in the costume and prop shed? (laughs) (laughs) I Like, I do, so then... Not long after this is the part where Sylvia and Korob start to have conflict because she is so, like, into the idea of having sensation because she doesn't experience the same, like, physical and emotional sensations when she's not in her human body. So, I, like, I kind of like that part, but then you have to explain why can't they just feel those things without other people? Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes me, then, then, like, I think we're straying, like, really close to the Squire of Gothos if we say, like, they're trapped there and they need people to experience these things. Although the additional layer being that, like, it's also an interesting sensation to hurt people. Yeah, I got the sense. Okay, so what's his face at some point? I'm never going to remember that name. It's too dumb. What... He he says something about the old ones at some point. Yeah. Okay, so this is this is number one. We're rewriting. We're 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 getting out our, our typewriter here. Yeah. We need to know why they're on this planet, why they mm-hmm. left their previous planet, and where they want to go. Like, it doesn't have to be complicated. They could have like their their people died. Yeah. And they are in search of a new planet that they can live on or something. Yeah. That's basic. Or if they, like, what will the old ones do if they come back without completing their mission? Yeah. What even is their mission? Maybe their mission is that their their people ultimately want to conquer the galaxy. And so their mission is to figure out how to control humans. But then by turning into humans, they figure out that they really like being humans. Or feeling like humans. Very Doctor Who. Yeah, it is. But (laughs) can you blame me? (laughs) <laughs> it's it's less that we need this really complicated story so much as we just need a story. story. Yeah. Because the way it is, as it stands, is just like, Sylvia Cray-Cray, she likes killing people. Like, that, that's not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the actress does an okay job, like... Yeah. But she's super irrational and, like... Part of that is we don't know what her goal is. So how can we determine whether she's rational or not if we don't know what her plan is? And we never find out. We never find mm-hmm. out. It's so frustrating. We get to the end and they die and it's just like, all right, dodge that bullet. Bye. Well, I'm, I'm even more confused about what his goals are because at least we know something about her motivations. We know nothing about his motivations. He has a pretty great wizard robe, though. Yes. (laughs) And a wand. Yes. Uh, Yeah, the wand is pretty unimpressive. The transmuter. No, the wand has a knob on the end. Yeah. It's very impressive. (laughs) Yep. Uh, It's it's hard to, like, fix that problem because it's so fundamental to the episode, but they definitely need a reason for doing what they're doing. And I mean, Sylvia could just be a sadist, and that's fine. That's a motivation. But, I don't know. But then I think she needs to start like that. And maybe, like, by the time the away team gets there, Korob, if Korob is even in this, like, does Korob even need to be in this episode? I think they put him in there for conflict with Sylvia, and also to show that women, when they get, you know, emotions, 
go bananas and start, you know, manipulating everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. But what if you just had Sylvia? And what if she was a sadist and from the beginning when Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down that, like, she's trying to ensnare them in her game to basically just out of, like, a lust for power. Yeah, and just having fun with her toys. Yeah, and she's just, like, an evil alien and they happen to wander in her into her backyard. Like, yeah, it's not the strongest motivation ever, but it... Is one? It, well, it's better than, like, these sort of weird convoluted references that don't really, like, add up to anything. Yeah. But I feel like if you accept the premise that their natural existence is without sensation, and when they take on human form, they mm-hmm. can feel sensation. Like, as weird as that is, if you accept that premise, I think it's totally reasonable that she could become essentially addicted to sensations. Mm-hmm. And when when you're dealing with an addiction, you don't act reasonably. You don't act logically. As long as you mm-hmm. can, like, find more. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I say cut Korob, but, and I think that would help. But that means we lose his awesome wizard robes with the eye on them. I already said that Scotty and Sulu needed different outfits. Oh, there you go. Put them in wizard robes. Yes. That's what she dresses them in. <laughs> renaissance fair realness yes (laughs) i also think though that if they go that route of you know having it be about like suddenly i'm human and i am addicted to these impulses or the the feelings that i get from doing these things Mm -hmm. there probably would need to be a moralizing speech there in there somehow about there's more to being human and part of being human is that we don't always act on these things I mean, that's not a good parallel with addiction, but I feel like it's not super Star Trek-y to be like, you know, human's instinct. Well, I mean, I don't know. Star Trek does flirt with the idea that human's instinct is to do, is to hurt others. Yeah. But then they usually go to, but we don't now. But we also had some TNG episodes that explored, like, aliens trying human things and the the reactions being so different. Like, the one that, like... Had to learn anger, and the one that Troy took to mm-hmm. eat chocolate. Yeah, and the uh, Vorta, who yeah. just wants to eat all the things. Yeah. And <laughs> even when Q becomes human. Right. And again, there's chocolate. Well, I mean, let's face it, chocolate is one of the best things about being human. There's not enough chocolate in this episode. For Given that it's a Halloween episode, there's no candy. Mm. Yeah, for sure. You want a sensation, Sylvia. Have this dark chocolate. Oh, okay. I got it. I got it. I got it. I figured it out. I've cracked the code. You ready? Yep. Okay. Sylvia and her people were on a planet, and she started using their powers for bad things, and she, like, sucked her planet dry and killed everyone. Yeah. And now she has to find a new planet to start all over Mm. again. Yes. And, but she only made it to this uninhabited planet before she, like, ran out of power or something. So she's stuck there. But what she has to do is not only feed herself from the crew because she's addicted or whatever, but also get them to take her to the ship or whatever so she can get ah. to Earth and suck it dry. Hmm. So, like, a mixture of evil spider lady, which they already have that kind of vibe, right. and then also addiction... And then also, like, virus, almost. Mm. Sure. I mean, 
is better than what they have. Yeah. And that, like, her instinct is to do that through threatening versus, like, pretending to be a victim. That's actually not bad that, like, she's like, look, I have so much power. You need to do what I say versus, like, poor me. I'm, like, you know, like, what are little girls made of? Or other episodes where they find a woman who appears woman who appears to be helpless but is actually totally going to take over your ship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, she gets off on, like, the fear. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Sort of, you know, elements of Wolf in the Fold, but... I basically what- smooshed together, like, five different sci-fi tropes. <laughs> so can we also cut the, I'll be whatever kind of woman you want me to be, Captain Kirk? Oh my gosh. Okay, we have to talk about that. Especially the woman with whatever that white wig is and the, <laughs> like... <laughs> I was going to say, the second look is actually not bad at all. It's like I Dream of Jeannie on, like, LSD. Yeah, well, it's like, <laughs> it's sort of like like leather I Dream of Jeannie. Yeah, it's not bad. And then she transitions to whatever, whatever that, that was. It's like a, like a paisley onesie. Like, <laughs> 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 I can't wait to go to the store and be like, I'm looking for a paisley onesie. <laughs> And the and it's like this white wig with a weird asymmetrical top ponytail. And she also does this shimmy. Yeah, it looks mm-hmm. like a cl- <laughs> like she looks like a an LSD hippie clown. <laughs> uh, now normally I would be all for that, but she doesn't pull it off. No, and like Kirk is doing the like smile that's like yeah, oh yeah, girl, and you're like <laughs> no, I don't. Buy this at all. You're totally lying, Kirk. <laughs> yeah, also, did she pick the right person to seduce? Mm, I mean, does she have to seduce anyone? He's the lead. Yeah. I mean, if she has to seduce anyone, it might as well be Kirk. Although, yeah. I think it might be more interesting if, if we're going with my spider lady idea. Mm-hmm. That it be Spock. Yeah. And, like, he's the one that she can't feed off of, so she's, yes. like, fascinated by him. Yeah, that was the only other option I was thinking of. I don't necessarily mind that it's Kirk, because I just wondered maybe that was an option that you could use for Spock. But then if she's not going to seduce them, I mean, I think this this seduction thing, not particularly progressive, because it is very, like, Black Widow-y, but mm-hmm. it is, uh, it does um, lend itself to the whole rationale of being addicted to sensations and not having felt this before but and i mean they really sexed it up there was a lot of like talk of joining and Uh stuff and i was like wow y'all are really going for it i i can't quite remember the music but my impression of the music was like saxophones and i know that probably wasn't right but it was like (laughs) space porn music the music was very different this whole episode yeah but i also when they were like basically making out i was like do i i don't remember making out like that being a thing yeah it's so weird it's like he's like kissing all over her face or whatever and they're talking in between yeah it's it's as if they are simultaneously turning their heads in opposite directions while 
talking and trying to make as li- much lip contact with whatever part of their face possible. It's it's impressively unerotic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the talk of the joining was pretty sexy, but this was not sexy. Yeah. I mean, I personally like really fraught metaphors, but <laughs> this this was just like, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, on her end, she's probably never kissed anyone, so that makes sense. But on Kirk's end, like, what are you doing, bro? Like, that's not what kissing is. But I do kind of like the idea of keeping the seduction and keeping it with Spock. Like, she's... Yeah. She can't get anything else from him, so, like, he becomes something else to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I would like to take this moment to point out that McCoy is very poorly used in this, too. Yes. He's he, he's basically pointless. He uses sure. his creepy stairwell. Yeah, I mean, well, that's a given. He's there to declare two different people dead. Yeah. I actually thought, when I rewatched it, I forgot, and I thought that McCoy was faking being brainwashed. And that would have been cool mm. if somehow he w- he was able to fake it. I don't know how, but then help them escape instead of being under her spell. Because otherwise it's like we miss something because she calls McCoy away and then is like, Captain, you're next. But then Kirk is actually the one she has designs on and McCoy, she doesn't do anything to other than make another henchman and we don't even see that happen. Yeah. Boring. I also like the idea of her seducing Spock better because with Kirk, like, this is something we've talked about a fair amount, is this idea of, uh, about, about, like, sexual coercion and the fact that, like, she has all the power in this situation, but this scene is not seen as problematic because Kirk is such a womanizer that, well, of course he'd, like, enjoy making out with his captor. Right. And, you know, like, I don't, I don't think it's particularly insidious, but it's just problematic in the overall scheme of things that, like, you know, that, well, if a woman's in charge and, like, a guy like Kirk, well, of course he'd be, like, totally into this because it's sexy fantasy time. Whereas, like, Spock, you can't, you know, if she's trying to seduce him because she can't get to him and you're not really sure, like, how successful she's, she is, then it's a little bit like yesterday's, or, like, Enterprise Incident, but... Mm-hmm. From a different perspective and just less of a sort of obvious power dynamic problematization problematization yeah yeah cool <laughs> yeah and it's gotta give something to mccoy to do like i feel like mccoy should cure them yeah like he should spend the mm-hmm. episode figuring out what's wrong with sulu and scotty and cure them maybe he maybe their tricorder still works because there's no real reason for their tricorders not to work like, I get why she's disabled their phasers and communicators, but maybe she just doesn't even think that their tricorders are going to be a problem. Maybe he figures out, like, using that, how to cure them. It's definitely a hypospray. I'm just yeah. saying. Like, adrenaline straight to the brain. Ah, wake up! <laughs> but he just needs something to do. Like, otherwise yeah. he's just hanging around being weird. And yeah. It's boring. Or maybe she makes McCoy, Scotty, and Sulu be her backup band. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I like where this is going. And that's why she needed to make McCoy into another henchman, because she needed a drummer before she went after Kirk. And in this case, we should probably make it 
Chakoff instead of Scotty, so yeah. he can have his monkey's hair Moment. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I really feel like we're making some important changes here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're henchmen slash backup band, but really, I mean, if she's into sensation, she hasn't even tried music yet. That we know of. Yeah. It would be like creepy Halloween music. But she, she definitely didn't try it before the people got there. I mean, and she probably also, like, plumbed the depths of Scotty's brain and came up with some pretty great bagpipe stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, though, that if the biggest problem of this episode is a lack of motivation or Mm -hmm. plot, the second biggest is just the pacing of the second, the last two acts. Mm. It is boring. Yeah. I mean, and I like this episode for the most part. Like, I don't think it's super bad or anything. I just, like, I really lose interest. Because mm-hmm. you know they're not going to get stuck there. So, like, it's just counting down until they leave. Well, the thing is that, like, I actually really like the, the overarching sci-fi idea behind this. Of these super foreign, un- unknown, unusual aliens that are, like, the farthest thing from humanoid that we see on Star Trek, using their their telepathic abilities to not only, like, manipulate, but just to communicate. And then they, they see their true form, and they're, like, three inches tall and fuzzy little blue things. And, like, I think that that, the, that frame is a really interesting one for Trek, but it just went down this, like, novelty Halloween path. Mm-hmm. And we don't know if we're ever going to see these fuzzy blue creatures again. Well, those ones died. Well, yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the race of creature. Mm-hmm. We don't even know what they're called. Yeah. We also don't... There's just no... In that the whole last scene, there's not really... So Korob tries to sort of help them escape. And they're just lacking a change in the action or momentum, like a setback. Other mm-hmm. than the fact that... So Korob gets crushed by a door. Kirk steals the transmuter. But it's mostly, like you said, just running in circles. They have to fight off Sulu and Scotty and McCoy. But mm. once they do, maybe if they were shaken out of their stupor and somehow like came up with a cooler plan, then hope Sylvia doesn't touch the wand. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that there needs to be either more or none of the Enterprise. Because the switching back and forth was really jarring. It was just not necessary after the candle part, for sure. Like, they really didn't need the part where they were contacting them, and, oh, I can only get one of them. Felt like time-killing. But also just so jarring and silly. Like, I'm raising the temperature. Mm -hmm. They're raising the temperature! (laughs) Okay. Look at them all sweating! (laughs) <laughs> that sweat, sweat did not do that wig any favors. <laughs> it got real frizzy looking. Yeah. I mean, if you thought that it wasn't possible for that wig to get worse, you were wrong. They they needed to demonstrate her power over the ship so that the stakes were higher, but already she has power over the entire main cast. Yeah. But it, like, it shows something that that wasn't seen as high enough stakes because it was just kind of boring. She wasn't really doing anything with it. Like, making them sing for her. <laughs> My gosh. 
needed to be a monkey song, too. Yeah, so I don't know. What would, like, can we give them a better plan? Maybe they have to, I don't know, maybe the transmuter isn't just in Korob's hand and able to be grabbed like that. Like, I feel like Sylvia would not let it get out of her sight that easily. Like, would maybe she has it locked somewhere and they have to make a plan that involves all five of them to get it back. Mm. Yeah, because McCoy has cured them. Yes. That's useful. Good job, mm. McCoy. Way to do something in this episode. <laughs> I personally would love it if the last act turned into a heist movie. Uh, <laughs> yes. And, like, they're heisting and Spock goes in and, like, distracts her. With his wiles. It could be way simpler if Kirk just destroys the transmuter as soon as he gets it. Rather than this weird standoff of like, don't touch it! Don't Mm -hmm. touch it! See, what's worse is that she told him about her own weakness. Why did you... Uh, girl. Classic villain move. Let me explain to you during our weird making out session where all (laughs) of my power comes from. (laughs) There are so much good things in this episode, but structurally, it's a bit of a mess. Mm-hmm. So if we're we're sort of okay with heist movie ending, and then then what do we want to happen to Sylvia and not Cora because we've written him out of this? Can I say that I find it kind of weird that they break it and and then they just watch the aliens die? And like, yeah, they don't try and yeah. help them, or they don't even seem to care that they died. They don't capture them in a specimen container? Yeah, like, they could save them. Yeah, I would like her to be able to survive without her transmuter, and for them to, like, take her to a starbase or something, where maybe they can communicate. Also, clearly the transmuter is, like, a, I'm guessing an image manifestation of a wand, because... Versus that's actually what the actual tool looks like. Right. Because it's like three times as big as what they actually are. So how would they wield it? And what would it look like for the little blue guys to wield a transmuter? I just thought it was weirdly dis- dispassionate for them to just watch them die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and McCoy, the doctor, going, well, it's too late now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Do no harm. Right, friend? Like... And you're like, but they're just little crab muppets now. They were so cute. I would not change the design of them at all. Not at all. No, no. Yeah, I mean that would be a good, a good moment for the for the, have some compassion, man. Yeah. I don't understand. It's just, and then they just leave, and then they're just done. It's just done. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you caught twenty minutes of running around on the inside. You could have some follow-up on, like, the moral ambiguities brought up in the episode. Or you could have them on the bridge being like, uh, now that the creatures are safely at the Starfleet Research Facility, we've discovered blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. And then you could have some sort of sassy joke. I mean, that is patented TOS ending. Maybe we can teach them some better poetry. (laughs) (laughs) I like that, actually. That's pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like our version. I do, too. I'm a fan of the original, but you're right. It goes, there's a lot of not going anywhere. And definitely no why. Yeah. I mean, I really just, it was frustrating because throughout the whole thing, I'm like, but why, though? Why? So, 
I feel like that's that's the main flaw that needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. But some of the visuals are pretty great. Some of the looks are pretty great, too, except for mm-hmm. that weird one. The Paisley onesie. Yes. <laughs> I like her black dress, though. That's cool. I like the necklace. Yep. <laughs> Is that Sylvia? Oh, no, she got Jera. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was Tilly, so... <laughs> ah, another Sylvia. Cute. She's a pain in the butt. Cat's butt. <laughs> Please let us call this episode Cat's Butt. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> cat's Butt. A rewriting of Cat's Paw. <laughs> okay, is there a giant litter box? Is that one of the nightmares? <laughs> oh, it's one of my nightmares. <laughs> you know what? They I'm I'm throwing everything we changed out and I'm changing it like this. Instead of the crew, it's a it's a cat going through their nightmares. So it's like the vacuum cleaner. Yes. <laughs> So, Andy, if people want to talk to you about their cat's butt, where can they find you on the internet? Nowhere. I don't want to hear about that. You can catch (laughs) me on Twitter at First Time Trek. And Jara? You can find me on Twitter at Jara Penguin or at TrekkieFeminist.com. What was that, Mary? (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) And I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Speltor. That's S-P-A-L. T-O-R. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us at crew at womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>